Chapter Eleven of Partial Portraits by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. Chapter Eleven, Part One: The Art of Fiction. I should not have affixed so comprehensive a title to these few remarks necessarily wanting in any completeness upon a subject the full consideration of which would carry us far did i not seem to discover a pretext for my temerity in the interesting pamphlet lately published under this name by mr walter besant mr besant's lecture at the royal institution the original form of his pamphlet appears to indicate that many persons are interested in the art of fiction and are not indifferent to such remarks as those who practice it may attempt to make about it i am therefore anxious not to lose the benefit of this favourable association and to edge in a few words under cover of the attention which mr besant is sure to have excited there is something very encouraging in his having put into form certain of his ideas on the mystery of story-telling it is a proof of life and curiosity curiosity on the part of the brotherhood of novelists as well as on the part of their readers only a short time ago it might have been supposed that the english novel was not what the french call discutable it had no air of having a theory a conviction a consciousness of itself behind it of being the expression of an artistic faith the result of choice and comparison i do not say it was necessarily the worse for that it would take much more courage than i possess to intimate that the form of the novel as dickens and thackeray for instance saw it had any taint of incompleteness it was however naif if i may help myself out with another french word and evidently if it be destined to suffer in any way for having lost its naivete it has now an idea of making sure of the corresponding advantages during the period i have alluded to there was a comfortable good-humoured feeling abroad that a novel is a novel as a pudding is a pudding and that our only business with it could be to swallow it but within a year or two for some reason or other there have been signs of returning animation the era of discussion would appear to have been to a certain extent opened art lives upon discussion upon experiment upon curiosity upon variety of attempt upon the exchange of views and the comparison of standpoints and there is a presumption that those times when no one has anything particular to say about it and has no reason to give for practice or preference though there may be times of honour are not times of development are times possibly even a little of dullness the successful application of any art is a delightful spectacle but the theory too is interesting and though there is a great deal of the latter without the former i suspect there has never been a genuine success that has not had a latent core of conviction discussion suggestion formulation these things are fertilizing when they are frank and sincere 
Mr. Besant has set an excellent example in saying what he thinks, for his part, about the way in which fiction should be written, as well as about the way in which it should be published. For his view of the art carried on into an appendix covers that too. Other laborers in the same field will doubtless take up the argument. They will give it the light of their experience, and the effect will surely be to make our interest in the novel a little more what it had for some time threatened to fail to be, a serious, active, inquiring interest, under protection of which this delightful study may, in moments of confidence, venture to say a little more what it thinks of itself. It must take itself seriously for the public to take it so. The old superstition about fiction being wicked has doubtless died out in England, but the spirit of it lingers in a certain oblique regard directed toward any story which does not more or less admit that it is only a joke. Even the most jocular novel feels in some degree the weight of the prescription that was formerly directed against literary levity. The jocularity does not always succeed in passing for orthodoxy. It is still expected, though perhaps people are ashamed to say it, that a production which is, after all, only a make-believe, for what else is a story, shall be in some degree apologetic, shall renounce the pretension of attempting really to represent life. This, of course, any sensible wide-awake story declines to do, for it quickly perceives that the tolerance granted to it on such a condition is only an attempt to stifle it disguised in the form of generosity. The old evangelical hostility to the novel, which was as explicit as it was narrow, and which regarded it as little less favorable to our immortal part than a stage play, was in reality far less insulting. The only reason for the existence of a novel is that it does attempt to represent life. When it relinquishes this attempt, the same attempt that we see on the canvas of the painter, it will have arrived at a very strange pass. It is not expected of the picture that it will make itself humble in order to be forgiven, and the analogy between the art of the painter and the art of the novelist is, so far as I am able to see, complete. Their inspiration is the same, their process, allowing for the different quality of the vehicle, is the same, their success is the same. They may learn from each other, they may explain and sustain each other. Their cause is the same, and the honor of one is the honor of another. The Mahometans think a picture an unholy thing, but it is a long time since any Christian did and it is therefore the more odd that in the christian mind the traces dissimulated though they may be of a suspicion of the sister art should linger to this day the only effectual way to lay it to rest is to emphasize the analogy to which i just alluded to insist on the fact that as the picture is reality so the novel is history that is the only general description 
which does it justice that we may give of the novel. But history also is allowed to represent life. It is not, any more than painting, expected to apologize. The subject matter of fiction is stored up likewise in documents and records, and if it will not give itself away, as they say in California, it must speak with assurance, with the tone of the historian. Certain accomplished novelists have a habit of giving themselves away, which must often bring tears to the eyes of people who take their fiction seriously. I was lately struck, in reading over many pages of Anthony Trollope, with his want of discretion in this particular. In a digression, a parenthesis, or an aside, he concedes to the reader that he and this trusting friend are only making believe. He admits that the events he narrates have not really happened, and that he can give his narrative any turn the reader may like best. Such a betrayal of a sacred office seems to me, I confess, a terrible crime. It is what I mean by the attitude of apology, and it shocks me every whit as much in Trollope as it would have shocked me in Gibbon or Macaulay. It implies that the novelist is less occupied in looking for the truth, the truth of course I mean, that he assumes, the premises that we must grant him, whatever they may be, than the historian, and in doing so, it deprives him at a stroke of all his standing room. To represent and illustrate the past, the actions of men, is the task of either writer, and the only difference that I can see is, in proportion as he succeeds, to the honor of the novelist, consisting as it does in his having more difficulty in collecting his evidence, which is so far from being purely literary. It seems to me to give him a great character, the fact that he has at once so much in common with the philosopher and the painter. This double analogy is a magnificent heritage. It is of all this evidently that Mr. Besant is full when he insists upon the fact that fiction is one of the fine arts, deserving in its turn of all the honors and emoluments that have hitherto been reserved for the successful profession of music, poetry, painting, architecture. It is impossible to insist too much on so important a truth, and the place that Mr. Besant demands for the work of the novelist may be represented a trifle less abstractedly by saying that he demands not only that it shall be reputed artistic, but that it shall be reputed very artistic indeed. It is excellent that he should have struck this note, for his doing so indicates that there was need of it, that his proposition may be to many people a novelty. One rubs one's eyes at the thought, but the rest of Mr. Besant's essay confirms the revelation. I suspect in truth that it would be possible to confirm it still further, and that one would not be far wrong in saying that in addition to the people to whom it has never occurred that a novel ought to be artistic there are a great many others who if this principle were urged upon them would be filled with an indefinable mistrust 
they would find it difficult to explain their repugnance, but it would operate strongly to put them on their guard. Art in our Protestant communities, where so many things have got so strangely twisted about, is supposed in certain circles to have some vaguely injurious effect upon those who make it an important consideration, who let it weigh in the balance. It is assumed to be opposed in some mysterious manner to morality, to amusement, to instruction. When it is embodied in the work of the painter, the sculptor is another affair, you know what it is. It stands there before you, in the honesty of pink and green and a gilt frame. You can see the worst of it at a glance, and you can be on your guard. But when it is introduced into literature, it becomes more insidious. There is danger of its hurting you before you know it. Literature should be either instructive or amusing, and there is in many minds an impression that these artistic preoccupations, the search for form, contribute to neither end, interfere indeed with both. They are too frivolous to be edifying and too serious to be diverting, and they are, moreover, priggish and paradoxical and superfluous, that, I think, represents the manner in which the latent thought of many people who read novels as an exercise in skipping would explain itself if it were to become articulate. They would argue, of course, that a novel ought to be good, but they would interpret this term in a fashion of their own, which indeed would vary considerably from one critic to another. One would say that being good means representing virtuous and aspiring characters placed in prominent positions. Another would say that it depends on a happy ending, on a distribution at the last of prizes, pensions, husbands, wives, babies, millions, appended paragraphs, and cheerful remarks. Another still would say that it means being full of incident and movement so that we shall wish to jump ahead, to see who was the mysterious stranger, and if the stolen will was ever found, and shall not be distracted from this pleasure by any tiresome analysis or description. But they would all agree that the artistic idea would spoil some of their fun, one would hold it accountable for all the description, another would see it revealed in the absence of sympathy. Its hostility to a happy ending would be evident, and it might even in some cases render any ending at all impossible. The ending of a novel is, for many persons, like that of a good dinner, a course of dessert and ices, and the artist in fiction is regarded as a sort of meddlesome doctor, who forbids agreeable aftertastes. It is therefore true that this conception of Mr. Besant's of the novel as a superior form encounters not only a negative but a positive indifference. It matters little that as a work of art it should really be as little or as much of its essence to supply happy endings, sympathetic characters, and an objective tone as if it were a work of mechanics. The association of ideas, however incongruous, might easily be too much for it 
if an eloquent voice were not sometimes raised to call attention to the fact that it is at once as free and as serious a branch of literature as any other certainly this might sometimes be doubted in presence of the enormous number of works of fiction that appeal to the credulity of our generation for it might easily seem that there could be no great character in a commodity so quickly and easily produced it must be admitted that good novels are much compromised by bad ones and that the field at large suffers discredit from overcrowding I think, however, that this injury is only superficial, and that the superabundance of written fiction proves nothing against the principle itself. It has been vulgarized, like all other kinds of literature, like everything else today, and it has proved more than some kinds accessible to vulgarization. But there is as much difference as there ever was between a good novel and a bad one. The bad is swept with all the daubed canvases and spoiled marble into some unvisited limbo, or infinite rubbish-yard beneath the back windows of the world, and the good subsists and emits its light and stimulates our desire for perfection. As I shall take the liberty of making but a single criticism of Mr. Besant, whose tone is so full of the love of his art, I may as well have done with it at once. He seems to me to mistake in attempting to say so definitely beforehand what sort of an affair the good novel will be. To indicate the danger of such an error as that has been the purpose of these few pages, to suggest that certain traditions on the subject applied a priori have already had much to answer for, and that the good health of an art which undertakes so immediately to reproduce life must demand that it be perfectly free. It lives upon exercise, and the very meaning of exercise is freedom. The only obligation to which in advance we may hold a novel, without incurring the accusation of being arbitrary, is that it be interesting. That general responsibility rests upon it, but it is the only one I can think of. The ways in which it is at liberty to accomplish this result of interesting us strike me as innumerable and such as can only suffer from being marked out or fenced in by prescription. They are as various as the temperament of man, and they are successful in proportion as they reveal a particular mind different from others. A novel is, in its broadest definition, a personal, a direct impression of life, that, to begin with, constitutes its value, which is greater or less according to the intensity of the impression. But there will be no intensity at all, and therefore no value, unless there is freedom to feel and say. The tracing of a line to be followed, of a tone to be taken, of a form to be filled out, is a limitation of that freedom and a suppression of the very thing that we are most curious about. The form, it seems to me, is to be appreciated after the fact. Then the author's choice has been made, his standard has been indicated. 
then we can follow lines and directions and compare tones and resemblances then in a word we can enjoy one of the most charming of pleasures we can estimate quality we can apply the test of execution the execution belongs to the author alone it is what is most personal to him and we measure him by that the advantage the luxury as well as the torment and responsibility of the novelist is that there is no limit to what he may attempt as an executant no limit to his possible experiments efforts discoveries successes here it is especially that he works step by step like his brother of the brush of whom we may always say that he has painted his picture in a manner best known to himself his manner is his secret not necessarily a jealous one he cannot disclose it as a general thing if he would he would be at a loss to teach it to others i say this with a due recollection of having insisted on the community of method of the artist who paints a picture and the artist who writes a novel the painter is able to teach the rudiments of his practice and it is possible from the study of good work granted the aptitude both to learn how to paint and to learn how to write yet it remains true without injury to the rapprochement that the literary artist would be obliged to say to his pupil much more than the other ah well you must do it as you can it is a question of degree a matter of delicacy if there are exact sciences there are also exact arts and the grammar of painting is so much more definite that it makes the difference i ought to add however that if mr besant says at the beginning of his essay that the laws of fiction may be laid down and taught with as much precision and exactness as the laws of harmony perspective and proportion he mitigates what might appear to be an extravagance by applying his remark to general laws and by expressing most of these rules in a manner with which it would certainly be unaccommodating to disagree that the novelist must write from his experience that his characters must be real and such as might be met with in actual life that a young lady brought up in a quiet country village should avoid descriptions of garrison life and a writer whose friends and personal experiences belong to the lower middle class should carefully avoid introducing his characters into society that one should enter one's notes in a commonplace book that one's figures should be clear in outline that making them clear by some trick of speech or of carriage is a bad method and describing them at length is a worse one that english fiction should have a conscious moral purpose that it is almost impossible to estimate too highly the value of careful workmanship that is of style that the most important point of all is the story that the story is everything these are principles with most of which it is surely impossible not to sympathize that remark about the lower middle-class writer and his knowing his place is perhaps rather chilling 
but for the rest I should find it difficult to dissent from any one of these recommendations. At the same time, I should find it difficult positively to assent to them, with the exception, perhaps, of the injunction as to entering one's notes in a commonplace book. They scarcely seem to me to have the quality that Mr. Besant attributes to the rules of the novelist, the precision and exactness of the laws of harmony, perspective, and proportion. They are suggestive, they are even inspiring, but they are not exact, though they are doubtless as much so as the case admits of, which is a proof of that liberty of interpretation for which I just contended. For the value of these different injunctions, so beautiful and so vague, is wholly in the meaning one attaches to them. The characters, the situation, which strike one as real, will be those that touch and interest one most, but the measure of reality is very difficult to fix. The reality of Don Quixote, or of Mr. Micawber, is a very delicate shade. It is a reality so colored by the author's vision that, vivid as it may be, one would hesitate to propose it as a model. One would expose oneself to some very embarrassing questions on the part of a pupil. It goes without saying that you will not write a good novel unless you possess the sense of reality but it will be difficult to give you a recipe for calling that sense into being. Humanity is immense, and reality has myriad forms. The most one can affirm is that some of the flowers of fiction have the odor of it, and others have not. As for telling you in advance how your nosegay should be composed, that is another affair." It is equally excellent and inconclusive to say that one must write from experience. To our supposititious aspirant, such a declaration might savor of mockery. What kind of experience is intended, and where does it begin and end? Experience is never limited, and it is never complete. It is an immense sensibility, a kind of huge spider-web of the finest silken threads, suspended in the chamber of consciousness, and catching every airborne particle in its tissue. It is the very atmosphere of the mind, and when the mind is imaginative, much more when it happens to be that of a man of genius, it takes to itself the faintest hints of life, it converts the very pulses of the air into revelations. The young lady living in a village has only to be a damsel upon whom nothing is lost to make it quite unfair, as it seems to me, to declare to her that she shall have nothing to say about the military. Greater miracles have been seen than that, imagination assisting, she should speak the truth about some of these gentlemen. I remember an English novelist, a woman of genius, telling me that she was much commended for the impression she had managed to give in one of her tales of the nature and way of life of the French Protestant youth. She had been asked where she learned so much about this recondite being. She had been congratulated on her peculiar opportunities. 
these opportunities consisted in her having once in paris as she ascended a staircase passed an open door where in the household of a pasteur some of the young protestants were seated at table round a finished meal the glimpse made a picture it lasted only a moment but that moment was experience she had got her direct personal impression and she turned out her type she knew what youth was and what protestantism she also had the advantage of having seen what it was to be french so that she converted these ideas into a concrete image and produced a reality above all however she was blessed with the faculty which when you give it an inch takes an l and which for the artist is a much greater source of strength than any accident of residence or of place in the social scale the power to guess the unseen from the seen to trace the implication of things to judge the whole piece by the pattern the condition of filling life in general so completely that you are well on your way to knowing any particular corner of it this cluster of gifts may almost be said to constitute experience and they occur in country and in town and in the most differing stages of education if experience consists of impressions it may be said that impressions are experience just as have we not seen it they are the very air we breathe therefore if i should certainly say to a novice write from experience and experience only i should feel that this was rather a tantalizing monition if i were not careful immediately to add try to be one of the people on whom nothing is lost i am far from intending by this to minimize the importance of exactness of truth of detail one can speak best from one's own taste and i may therefore venture to say that the air of reality solidity of specification seems to me to be the supreme virtue of a novel the merit on which all its other merits including that conscious moral purpose of which mr besant speaks helplessly and submissively depend if it be not there they are all as nothing and if these be there they owe their effect to the success with which the author has produced the illusion of life the cultivation of this success the study of this exquisite process form to my taste the beginning and the end of the art of the novelist they are his inspiration his despair his reward his torment his delight it is here in very truth that he competes with life it is here that he competes with his brother the painter in his attempt to render the look of things the look that conveys their meaning to catch the color the relief the expression the surface the substance of the human spectacle it is in regard to this that mr besant is well inspired when he bids him take notes he cannot possibly take too many he cannot possibly take enough all life solicits him and to render the simplest surface to produce the most momentary illusion is a very complicated business 
His case would be easier, and the rule would be more exact, if Mr. Besant had been able to tell him what notes to take. But this, I fear, he can never learn in any manual. It is the business of his life. He has to take a great many in order to select a few. He has to work them up as he can. And even the guides and philosophers, who might have most to say to him, must leave him alone when it comes to the application of precepts, as we leave the painter in communion with his palate. That his characters must be clear in outline, as Mr. Besant says, he feels that down to his boots, but how he shall make them so is a secret between his good angel and himself. It would be absurdly simple if he could be taught that a great deal of description would make them so, or that, on the contrary, the absence of description and the cultivation of dialogue, or the absence of dialogue and the multiplication of incident, would rescue him from his difficulties. Nothing, for instance, is more possible than that he be of a turn of mind for which this odd, literal opposition of description and dialogue, incident and description, has little meaning and light. People often talk of these things as if they had a kind of internecine distinctness, instead of melting into each other at every breath and being intimately associated parts of one general effort of expression. I cannot imagine composition existing in a series of blocks, nor conceive, in any novel worth discussing at all, of a passage of description that is not in its intention narrative, a passage of dialogue that is not in its intention descriptive a touch of truth of any sort that does not partake of the nature of incident, or an incident that derives its interest from any other source than the general and only source of the success of a work of art, that of being illustrative. A novel is a living thing, all one and continuous, like any other organism and in proportion as it lives will it be found, I think, that in each of the parts there is something of each of the other parts. The critic, who over the close texture of a finished work shall pretend to trace a geography of items, will mark some frontiers as artificial, I fear, as any that have been known to history. There is an old-fashioned distinction between the novel of character and the novel of incident, which must have cost many a smile to the intending fabulist who was keen about his work. It appears to me as little to the point as the equally celebrated distinction between the novel and the romance, to answer as little to any reality. There are bad novels and good novels, as there are bad pictures and good pictures, but that is the only distinction in which I see any meaning, and I can as little imagine speaking of a novel of character as I can imagine speaking of a picture of character. When one says picture, one says of character. When one says novel, one says of incident, and the terms may be transposed at will. What is character but the determination of incident? What is incident but the illustration of character? What is either a picture or a novel that is not of character? 
what else do we seek in it and find in it it is an incident for a woman to stand up with her hand resting on a table and look out at you in a certain way or if it be not an incident i think it will be hard to say what it is at the same time it is an expression of character if you say you don't see it character in that allons donc this is exactly what the artist who has reasons of his own for thinking he does see it undertakes to show you when a young man makes up his mind that he has not faith enough after all to enter the church as he intended that is an incident though you may not hurry to the end of the chapter to see whether perhaps he doesn't change once more i do not say that these are extraordinary or startling incidents i do not pretend to estimate the degree of interest proceeding from them for this will depend upon the skill of the painter it sounds almost puerile to say that some incidents are intrinsically much more important than others and i need not take this precaution after having professed my sympathy for the major ones in remarking that the only classification of the novel that i can understand is into that which has life and that which has it not end of chapter eleven part one